Welcome back to Road to the Ashes. Simon O'Donnell here at SEN Talk Sport over in the UK. Steve Harmison joining us from the other side of the world. Thanks to Australian Made. Look for the green and gold kangaroo. He's not on the other side of the world. Uh, he's firmly ensconced here in Australia. But I tell you what, uh, he loved travelling to the other side of the world sometimes to uh, play against the old foe. And I talk of Adam Gilchrist, who had a, a fantastic Ashes career during his journey as an Australian Test cricketer. And we're lucky enough uh, that he joins us on Road to the Ashes. And I might add, is also uh, an Australian-made ambassador. We'll talk about that a little later on because um, we've got some Ashes to talk with him first and foremost. Gilly, uh, welcome to Road to the Ashes. Great to have you on board. Uh, cheers, Simon. Harmy. Uh, how are you both? Great to great to see you. Good to be chatting uh, about, well, both things that we're chatting about, the obviously the Ashes and, and then the Australian-made campaign. It's always, as you said, Simon, in the intro, any Aussie loves getting over to the UK at any stage. And uh, if it's, whether it's representing Australia and sporting field or or the business community that uh, we're very proud of. It's nice to uh, intertwine the two, but um, yeah, huge anticipation about what's coming up ahead for everyone. I'm sure it's the same over there, Rahami. Yeah, it's massive. The whole thing, I think we're all looking at this Asher series thinking it's going to be the closest thing since the one that you forget in 2005, <laughs> the most eagerly awaited, anticipated <laughs> series since 2005. We just chatted earlier, yeah. Gilly, about the the build-up for the Australians. They've chosen sort of no warm-up games. They go straight into their World Test yeah. Championship and, and then into the first Test match. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a bit of a high-risk policy from them, given they did the same, didn't they, in India? And that came unstuck very early. Uh, but I think notwithstanding, the conditions in India were pretty uh, pretty uh, delicate, to say the least, um, in the first few Test matches. So, you know, maybe pre-match, uh, pre-tour games might not have helped them anyway. But... Uh, I think that there's not a lot of time is there between the World Test Championship and the first no. test at Edgbaston. No. Is that right? There probably wouldn't be time to no. whack a game in there anyway, I don't think, without um, without adding to the workload. So, uh, I don't know. It's, all I think you can do is sit back and trust the judgment. It's a pretty experienced setup there. Uh, the leaders of the group. Uh, they know the workloads and, and the cricket that they've played. There's you know, a few key players over there already acclimatising by way of county cricket, which is, which is going to help them out. Um, and then I guess it falls back more to the bowling workload and what guys want to do. But I'm not too bothered. There's a whole bunch of, uh, well, a number of Ashes contenders, I suppose, for England that are in the IPL that will lead them right up very close to the series. So in this day and age, oh, it's hard to comment coming from another era um, as to what is uh, needed, required or acceptable in this day and age, given the cricket they're playing. And and clearly the current players feel that's the best way to go. So um, I'm I'm a bit reserved in trying to judge that just at the moment and, um, and, and be able to advise what's best or what's not. So just Trust them, go with it, and uh, get stuck into it. And for their sake, I hope it goes well. Interesting listening to you talk on on the, in a way, a little bit of the recipe for success. Is it playing a game or not? One of the big contributors, I thought, in your period of Ashes cricket and, and your career was stability amongst that 11 to probably 14 guys. It was the same faces for about 10 years. And I, I felt stability yeah. was such a important ingredient 
to the success of your period playing test cricket. Am I fair in saying that? And, and do you think that's still relevant and important now? Oh, I do. I, again, I can only speak from experience um, as, as the three of us can from, from previous times. But I do think if you can get stability and continuity in a, in a core group of players, I mean, that means a number of things, doesn't it? It means that you, it means the team must be doing reasonably well, or at least, you know, the bulk, the lion's share of the players are doing well enough to retain their spot in the team, consistency of selection. So, and, and over a long period of time, that means the team results are probably going to be pretty decent. Uh, and it brings also that, that, uh, that IP, if you like, or that, that knowledge and intellect, that cricket intellect that has been built up over that period of time as you march on towards uh, a destination together. And I think, you know, for the last 18 months or so, this, this Ashes has been the destination. I um, mean, India was certainly something that they would, Australian team would love to have achieved a, a victory in and, and they sort of ended up getting reasonably close. But, uh, but then... Yeah, the ashes comes around and it's always spoken about a long time out about management of bowlers and management of players and workloads. And I'm sure it's a bit the same in the England camp. I mean, look at the way Joffre has been treated over a long period of time in the hope that he can come up for this series and, and, and the like, even the management of the older guys, Brody and, and, and Jimmy. Um, there's always that bigger picture at the end of the day that's uh, the carrot dangling there. So the management of players, uh, which then allows consistency of selection over a fair period of time. I, I think it's pretty important. And I, I think England now, <laughs> probably the, the style of cricket they've been playing and, the, and that regime of, what is it now, 12 to 18 months, uh, they're probably biggest headache simply working out who to, who to leave out. They've got quite the selection to pick from if they're all fully fit. Whereas Australia's um, set up, I, I probably think the 11 is close to picking itself and there's not a lot of competition banging the door down there to, to force guys out. So, um, that, I mean, the 11 that they have, I think, if they're fully fit, will be very, very competitive. They're so evenly matched, these teams. Yeah, I, I agree. I look at the Australian side and I think Australia have probably got the best 11. I think England have got the bigger depth. Even yeah. you know, most of the playing in England, so they're going to have even more to pick from. Um, and five test matches in six and a half weeks. It's crazy schedule that might just work in England's favour because the depths they've got. But if I ask you, Gilly, about what does the Ashes mean? You know, growing up, you know, I remember I remember my first ever overseas at Durham was I was 17 year old was David Boone. And whenever I think of the Ashes, I just think Booney getting off a plane, drinking ridiculous amounts of lager <laughs> hundreds in the early part of a series. I have only ever seen Booney on the telly scoring hundreds. So to to play with him it's just like a dream come true. But if I've asked yeah. you what the Ashes means, what does it mean to Adam Gilchrist growing up? Yeah, that, uh, look, it, it meant everything. My first Ashes test, um, it was 2001 mm. at Edgbaston, which I think was, a, I think about my 12th or 11th or 12th test match of my career, but it was my first one against, against your lot. And I was as nervous that morning as I was thinking back to my actual test debut. I think that, you knew that you were entering that that um, you know that group of players that that had the opportunity to to join the Ashes history. So that that's clearly to me what it meant. I remember, um, yeah, watching on eagerly in in '89. I mean, I watched Ashes series prior to that, but uh, both home and abroad. But um, 
was over there in 1989 as a youngster, um, just playing for a club team and and watching that close range. Um, the the question marks cast over that group of players of the Aussies and and then seeing them do what they did and remember the, the sort of bit of an iconic shot of them. I think it was Booney swept. Did he sweep the winning runs at Old Trafford to secure the Ashes and and they're all up on the balcony. It's not the Lord's balcony, but it was up at the old Old Trafford. Um, the balcony there and and then a few years later I was back with an Australian under 19 team and all we wanted to do was recreate that sort of image as an under 19 unit so it sort of filled it into the system a little bit and and, and generations pass it on down so that era of players were, were a bunch of my idols as were the generation before Lily Marsh you know and, and all those guys AB so yeah it's it gets in your blood it gets in your system and um it seems like every Ashes series now get, grows and grows and grows. And you're right, this is this is even more highly anticipated. I think before 2005, and Harmony, you can tell me if this is right or wrong, but I just wondered whether the public, the English cricketing public, and even you guys perhaps to an extent, didn't quite think that that was going to be the series that you would challenge us. and or well, Not challenge us, but actually beat us. Maybe it was an 18 months early and, and it was going to be later on you did it. But so maybe that anticipation wasn't quite there. But mind you, the spell you bowled to punter and taking his cheekbone out that first morning at Lords, I think that set the tone for mine for what was clearly one of the great series. So whereas this time it is truly, I reckon, a flip of the coin at the moment. A couple of selections, a couple of injuries, a couple of uh, good tosses, whatever. It really is a fine line. Yeah, I agree. I think when you when you look at the, the 2005, you come on to 2005, I always describe that one as I thought Australia were more nervous than what England were. I thought going into that series, Australia had the best players in the world. But at the time, I think we were the best team in the world because of what, what the journey we would have been on for 18 months. And I actually think it's very similar to the, the, the current current series that's that's coming up. Mm. Um, and the reason why I always said that I thought you were more nervous than what we were Ricky never gets it in the head. The, the ball that hit Langer, the ball that hit Alfie on the arm, that's his favourite shot, just flicking it down a fine leg. And and Big Matty Hayden, he doesn't ever get hit on the head. And that happened all in the first six overs. Of the test, yeah. yep. I think the anticipation of that, coupled with the fact that the pressure of the Ashes, I think we felt, I still think we felt our best chance was in England, not in, not in, not in Australia. But... And I think that's the same again. I think this team's best chance from an England point of view is to win in England, in England, not in Australia. But I just want to ask you about the 05 and about characters in the 05. Someone like Warney, Shane Warne. We've all seen what he was like, but we want to know what he was like when he was under pressure. You know, what was he like at, at, at Edgebaston when, when Ponner mentioned, when he said them immortal words for an Englishman, we'll bowl first on that Edgebaston flat <laughs> What was Warney like in the dressing room and what was Warney like on the field around, around that situation? I asked what Warney was like under pressure. I reckon that series, that summer, yeah, the UK summer, I don't know if he could have been under much more pressure. It was well documented and he's written about it and, uh, and had spoken about it. He was going basically through a marriage breakup, a separation, um, a profile scenario. Um, he was going through a whole lot of other stuff. He was... Um, out there in the field of battle, it always seemed like we were under siege, as you mentioned, Harmy, from the first six overs. I tell you, I'll go back a year or nine months to to the Champions League, uh, Champions Trophy final, semi-final, where you uh, 
mate, you bowled to us there and you hit me in the forearm there. Mm-hmm. And that that was a seed planted in my mind of of uncertainty of oldie. Um this is this is gonna be game on next year because um that that hostile spell you bowled that day forever remained in my mind. So um, it's amazing what can happen a long way out from a series and how how quickly or how well people can process stuff and move it away and disperse with it or if it lingers. But, um, yeah, that uh, you saw Warney under immense pressure there and what did he get, 40 wickets and 350 runs? <laughs> um, he was he was different league. He, every time we were under pressure, it seemed like he was the go-to man, whether it was with with uh, you know getting the wickets or um, trying to do a counter punch with the bat at the end because a few of us at the top had had left too many runs out there. So uh, his personality, let me just make sure it didn't seem to change a bit. He, Warney could be everything going his way. Life could have been perfect, but he still could have found something to whinge about and complain about <laughs> and something going wrong. Uh, and yet, in a flip of a coin or a blink of an eye, he can be the most positive, happy bloke ever. If if someone goes, oh, but Warney, remember, it's a really bad day for you, but that functions on it, right? and it could be good fun. Oh yeah, right, let's go the cart. Oh yeah, got blackjack. Yeah, so he can go up and down like a yo-yo. But you knew that once it was time to switch on, he was he was going to give it everything, and he he probably loved love being down or on the back foot against England more than anyone else in the cricketing world. And that usually produced the best. And yeah, a lot of you guys drew that out of him. Um, a few new faces like KP coming out too, taking him on. So that, that enhanced it. And, uh, you know, I thought Punter was right up there too under that series. Uh, you know, he played a couple of really important knocks, uh, but that was Probably one thing we, we probably just left Warney a bit going a bit lone wolf. It wasn't enough of us to really build a tapestry of work around him to to get the job done in the end. Gilly, fascinating to listen to you and Harmy talking about those series and and the, and the little bits that contributed. Some of them, you know, six months prior to the series starting with Harmy hitting you on a forearm. Mm. Because it, it was an extraordinary 18 months that, that then took place. England win that series 2-1. You know, we, we see the double-decker buses going through the west end of London. But hmm. you know, the next series in Australia, it looked like you were playing a completely different team. What was the turnaround? Uh, I, think, I think a few things. And I love that. <laughs> I, I got off the plane in 2005 at the start of that tour and in a press conference said, look, I don't want to be part of the team that hands the ashes back to England after 18 years. Um, and there I was sitting on the balcony at the Oval late in that late afternoon in September watching the celebrations begin, seeing bloody grown men crying out in the, in the grandstand because, you know, young men or, or even them with their kids hadn't seen that for, for so long. And, and then the players rightly celebrating. And, and people might say carrying on, but we had a real, a real solid hit out in the change rooms, both teams together. The level of respect there at the end of that series was quite phenomenal, really. Uh, I think everyone knew they'd been involved in something really special. And I think that's what the first step for us, we were able to sit there and sort of look it in the eye because it was a pretty, it had been a long, tough series. And for the first time in our series, uh, in our generation or that group, that core group of say four or five years of cricketers together, it felt like we had a few little fractures appearing and the, and the foundations were just quivering a bit. And I think the fact that we sat there and sort of, looked it in the eye, 
didn't enjoy it, but embraced the fact of we've just been part of a pretty historic moment. Um, so you knew that. So that was a start. We then came back and then John Buchanan, I think, felt like he detected these little sort of fractures in our, our foundation. So he took us away on a boot camp, much to everyone, none the least, Warney's disappointment. Um, but it was just, without overcomplicating, I guess it was, um, you know, sort of leader or teamwork 101, let's go away and do the the uh, the team building exercises. And it was the old ex SAS military style, which I think England might have been put through once or twice since, or or certainly at some point I remember seeing it uh, harm me. But, uh, yeah, it was the, the, the good old-fashioned you know, bust them physically or challenge them physically, challenge them mentally, challenge them around mateship and teamwork and all that. And it, it was a fascinating week um, and we got a lot out of it in the end, uh, except Warney would never have agreed with that. But but it was amazing when we did play in that after series. Um, I think what Buck knew, the skeleton was still there. We needed to pull all the flesh back, get the skeleton right and in, in alignment again and then add the fleshy bits through a shared experience. And and we could have sat in a boardroom and written up what is teamwork, um, you know, trust, uh, communication and all that sort of stuff. But the fact that we went through a shared experience, a bloody tough one, um, eventually in Adelaide uh, in warm-up on day five, that's where we all suddenly found out that Shane Warne was on the boot camp and he got <laughs> up and gave us one almighty rev-up speech about belief and what we can do together and he, he jumped on the back believe it or not of what John Buchanan was saying and it was unbelievable to see the two of them in unison but a rare time but uh, of course he came out and and bowled us to a well set up a victory as we chased down the run so I, I think that was probably it like you said Harmy leading into 05 the wave of momentum that you guys had you know Pakistan you know four I think it was and just the belief and you know, Vaughny's uh, everyone was on board with Vaughny um, and, and Duncan Fletcher and you're all so hungry. Uh, I think what we were able to do is get some momentum up after that that disappointment. And we could have gone one of two ways. We could have really crumbled after 05 and that been the end of that group. Or I thought John Buchanan showed some strong leadership and, and foresight and rebuilding it. And we had one last go, go and we you know got it right by the end of Sydney. And then we farewelled some absolute legends. Yeah, we from an England point of view, we we did crumble after 05 because we fell apart as a group um and the big part was we are we went to india not long after that and we made two changes we had two enforced changes and one was marcus triscothic and the other one was simon jones yep. and they were replaced by two mm. all-time greats in alistair cook and in jimmy anderson but it wasn't the same you know young guys going in and then the team that freddie had to go over to australia it was like that opened up bus parade as a group was the worst thing we ever did we did not want to do that. And it was like we were saying to the, the management, look, let the guys get, because you mentioned a drink afterwards. Simon, you, you wouldn't have really like, you, you could see who had won and who had lost in the dressing room. There's so much level of respect in 05 for what that series was about. And then to go on that bus parade before Australia had left, that's what the players, the England players didn't want. We were like, let them get in the air. And while they're in the air, we can have this parade. They might see pictures. Well, let's not ram it down their fret, you know, their throats of what has been an unbelievable series. That didn't need to happen in Australia because we weren't good enough. We just didn't have the team to go over there. But the, the fact that you did ram it down our throats, you did make sure we, we you knew that we were you were in the country when we 
on that bus parade. And we, you mentioned Adelaide near, not giving up on day five. And then you went to Perth. And I thought we were still in the game at Perth. And you came out and played. Mm. And innings, uh, I am honestly, Simon, I've said this before, the roof of my mouth was sunburned. I'm standing long off <laughs> and I'm saying to Monty, Monty, just throw it at his toes. Just, just, just dart it in and Monty's going, I, I think I can get him as it's gone over my head for the fourth time that, that over. I'm going, Mont, just bowl darts. And he's going, no, I can get him. And I'm like, I just, I'm just constantly looking up to the Perth sky and I say the roof of my mouth is somber. Catch. Goes. And goes. And goes. Goes again. That's even better. <laughs> that sounded superb and is superb. Makes no difference. <laughs> That's the best of the lot. <laughs> 24 from the over. And uh, there goes uh, a drive. Now, will he come back for the second? I think he probably will. Clark comes back. He's going through for the second. That's it. Magnificent. Adam Gilchrist, a century. The second fastest in the history of Test cricket. But what about that innings, Gilly? It was unbelievable. Well, it's funny you say Monty felt optimistic because he got me out. Remember he got Pfeiffer on day one? He did, like, yeah. A left-arm orthodox getting Pfeiffer at the Wacker on day one. You've got to be kidding me. What's going on? So that tells me surely some of us, if not all of us, were a bit negative of mindset. And he got me out. I reckon I got a duck. Like I, he, he bowled a pretty innocuous little left-arm orthodox and I just propped forward with a little bat pad out for a duck. And I remember walking off thinking, if I ever face Monty Penasarian, I'm at least – getting caught on the boundary. I'm not getting caught back padding close. So I sort of parked that in my mind. And fortunately, when I came out to bat that day, um, oh, you'd remember it. I mean, it was 40 degrees. Yeah, it was red hot. Beneficiary of you folks were cooked, literally cooked. Um, Huss and Pup had well, scored 100. Pup was encroaching on 100. Uh, we already had about a 300 run lead, didn't we? So um, it was, you know, all the, the weight was in on my side in regards to the match situation. and But funnily enough, Freddie came on when I walked out to bat, went round the wicket and uh, sort of pushed at one, flew through gully. I thought, oh, he's got me again in the gully region. Shocked me. Uh, but there was no fielder standing there. Yeah. And it went down the boundary for four. And I, I remember thinking, what is that side? And, and, and in refle on reflection, I wonder whether, you know, Freddie's at that stage as captain and was so exhausted and take on so much. It was so hot. Maybe he forgot to really get it right. But next ball, he bowled similar. And I self-indulgent, I absolutely laced it off the back foot, back foot cover drive right out of the middle. And I thought, I've been searching for a ball out of the middle against this mob for eight test matches now. Yeah. Now that I've found it, I'm going to have some fun. I'm going to, I remember what it feels like now. I'm going to go for it. So, yeah, but we, we got to, 50 and I remember we sent a message back to punter saying look we reckon we got him by the scruff of the neck it's only day three but if we absolutely tee it up here we could get 500 ahead and have another half an hour at him tonight so we just said don't don't run back out to the 12th he just give us a thumbs up from the change rooms if it's a yes slog or thumbs down if you want us to see it out Michael Clark and I were sure we saw a thumbs up <laughs> so we <laughs> we went for it <laughs> we went for it and, yeah, got him out of the middle. Um, fortunately, he was hitting with the breeze when Monty was bowling. And then we got to the 100 and then um, going to the change rooms and everyone's high fives, hooting and hollering, and a punter's standing there looking at me. And he said, what the, 
was that all about? So he had the dirts with me, but anyway, we got we got. I reckon we got Cookie out that night, which was a little Straussy. Sorry, yeah, got Straussy out that night. The um, a number of things have come out of this conversation. Listening to the two of you reminisce about those two wonderful series, but I think we now have a new definition of optimism, particularly the way Harmy put Monty's bowling. I think a 57-ball 100 and Monty still thought he was a chance to get him on, to, to throw it up while Harmy was getting sunburned at long on. I just think that's brilliant stuff. Oh. Monty was perfect. Monty was perfect in his description of Monty. He was perfect. He played one game yeah. 51 times. And that's Mont. That was Monty. And you can see these eyes. He thinks it's the greatest idea ever to keep throwing it up in the air. And Adam Gilchrist has hit him for the fourth time for six in about 10 balls. And he still thinks it's a good idea. And I think even if you talk to Monty now, he still thinks it's a good idea. But it was a, it was a magnificent series. You know, forget from an England point of view, we got beat 5-0. We didn't have a great side when we come into that. You mentioned, yeah, I was fortunate in my lifetime to play with some of my heroes and play against a lot of my heroes. To see Glenn, Justin, and the great man, Shane Warne, who I, I didn't know this until somebody had, had reminded me that I was the last person ever to hit Shane Warne for four. So as the eighth greatest, <laughs> as the eighth greatest number 11 of all time when I retired, um, I was so proud that I won his last boundary. Um, but to see them walk off at the end, for, us, for me, that was, that was cricket special. To see him get 700 wickets mm. at Melbourne, that was cricket special. See, to see Glenn McGrath get 500 at Lords, that was cricket special because these are unique times and unique ways. But we had some good times, didn't we? That, that was a great that was a great couple of Ashes series that I don't think people will forget. We forget because we got beat 5 0. But we don't forget because of the sort of two series. It was it was brilliant. Gilly, uh, been uh, great uh, having you along. Uh, before we before we go, um not only do you, you know, always uh, uh, freshen up the TV broadcast that we see you here in Australia and the development of you uh, on the telly, mm. the UK are seeing a hell of a lot more of you at the moment, particularly uh, through social media, etc. Yeah, oh, look, it's, it's, it's pretty clearly just an encouragement to, to people in the UK in particular. Uh, we've always sort of promoted it here within, internally within our country to try and support businesses that uh, produce and, and or manufacture uh, their products here in Australia. So, um, you know, in a big wide world out there full of exports and imports, obviously there's a, a little bit of everything to go around, but we're just encouraging uh, people in the UK that, to, to consider what we think um, Australian-made products are, are you know, reliable, high quality and trustworthy. So that that's effectively what Australian Made Week is. And, and we know there's a lot of expats over there, Aussies, so they'll be on the lookout, dare I say, it, for a few Australian-made things. So, um, yeah, that, that's pretty much the, the basis of it, uh, boys, and uh, a huge thrill and honour for myself to be asked to be a, a part of that campaign anytime I think anyone uh, anywhere from around the world gets a chance to promote their com uh, country and their and the companies that come from that country it's uh it's certainly something that we're you know proud to do so uh i'll be over there myself at some stage through the summer so uh look forward to, to joining in the in the uh, festivities no one uh, better to be fronting that free trade agreement uh, between australia and the uk gilly and um uh, we wish you all the well with with it and uh 
also anyone involved in it because uh, it's a great opportunity for many businesses here in Australia to showcase uh, what we've got here in this country. Mate, great to have your company uh, on the show today. Enjoy your involvement with um, with Australian Made. And uh, when you get over to the ashes, I've no doubt uh, we'll see plenty of cuts to the crowd saying, oh, that's the bloody Adam Gilchristie's back. <laughs> uh, pleasure to chat, boys. And, uh, and Harvey, you mentioned... That, that last Sydney test, for, for a lot of us, it was our last Ashes test match. Mm. Uh, and as we spoke about at the top of the chat here, how significant and special that little trench of all our careers is. So, um, yeah, that was a huge a huge day uh, and a, a wonderful rivalry between our, our group and your group, mate. So great to chat. Cheers, Sod, and uh, see you again soon. Good on you, Gary. Thanks for that. Well done, Harvey. I look forward to seeing you when you come over. No, you don't. Cheers, bud. I know you don't mean that, honey. Yeah. I just know you don't mean that. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. We need it. We're very excited. More uh, from uh, the road to the asses shortly, thanks to Australian Made. Look for the green and gold. Kangaroo, wherever you go.